you're listening to Cinepunked. This episode, it's all pretend. Uh, my name is Robert J. Simpson. I am your host, and I am joined in this by my erstwhile colleagues, Ben Simpson. Hello. Ben Brady was there for a second. And we are, we are joined by none other than the lovely Films and Faith himself, Mr. Neil Sedgwick. Hello, everyone. It is it is Films and Faith again, isn't it? It is. Filmsandfaith.substack.com. Free subscription. Join now. Regulars will remember we burnt Films and Faith on this show uh, about a year, two years ago, and Neil has decided to to bring it back from the ashes. So it's, it's nice to have you back with us. Resurrection is a thing, you know? What are you going to do? We are recording this remotely um, today because this is what everyone does now. We're we're in pandemic times, um, so we are not able to set fire to anything of Neil's, uh, unfortunately. Um, that is, unless the guy we hired actually turns up in time, in which case uh, I get the fire extinguisher ready. <laughs> <laughs> For Neil's now looking slightly worried, <laughs> checking, out, checking out the windows. No one, Robert. That wouldn't be something that he would. Um... You would do so no i'm not that cruel not, not yeah. um so that we ha- we haven't done one of these for a little while um we are we're doing this over zoom so there's there's there is a video version for those of you who want to watch videos and there'll be an audio version for those of you who like to do it traditionally um but we thought we'd we'd get together and we'd have a chat today about uh the late great robin williams who we're doing this podcast to mark his 70th birthday which would have been on the 21st of july 2021 um, amazing to think that, that Robin would have been 70. Uh, I, I can't get my head around that. I can't believe actually it's been seven years since he's gone, which is quite a long time ago now when you think about it. Yeah. Remember the shock? Like, like it was kind of like really shocked to hear that he'd, um, he'd gone, he'd left us. Um, I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but I do remember it. I was like, that's such a shame. You know, for such a talented, talented fella. Were you a fan? Oh yeah, yeah, I was a yeah, definitely a fan of um, uh, Mr. Williams. I'm not going to do an Elmo and call him Mr. Robin. <laughs> <laughs> ben and I were watching uh, the HBO documentary about him the other night, so uh, kind of it's very fresh in our minds and sort of very very. So, what you know, were you, were you a fan of Robin? How did his death um, strike you? Yeah, like it. It really was a, a shock. Um, I think it's something that you, he's one of those people in my mind, kind of similar to Tom Hanks in a way that I've, I've watched from childhood on. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when somebody like that passes away in, in any kind of um, artistic circle and you've such an attachment to their work the whole way along your life, I think it's, it's, it always kind of strikes you that bit more. Um, there, there are deaths that occur in kind of celebrity uh, circles that I kind of go, oh, I didn't really know. Like that person has no real bearing on my kind of psyche as such. Um, mm-hmm. But Robin Williams, yeah. Like, and to think that he, he was, you know, would have been 70 is also quite, because I don't, I never think of him in those terms in that mm-hmm. kind of, that stage of life, um, mm. even even at the point of his death, like I, ne- I never thought of him as that old. He was somebody who was very youthful um, in kind of how he carried himself publicly, at least. 
Mm. Um, and that, like, you don't associate kind of the number of somebody's years with with how they how they hold themselves, if that makes sense. So yeah, a big a big big loss. Like, we we've talked about Robin a bit on on the pod before. Um, he is one of the characters, one of the one of the actors, one of the performers we we talk about uh, in the the comedy of madness show. Um, that we that we did with Robert uh, Robert Ross, um, and he is one of those performers that you know. I, I mean, I remember feeling very deeply affected. But I'd actually watched and thoroughly enjoyed his his, his final TV series, the Crazy Ones. Um, I thought it was rather good. I thought he was very good in it. A little bit more subdued, but there was still a lot of that that kind of magic there. And it's only when you're watching back and you hear about some of the other stuff that was going on, you realize that maybe all was not not so well. But for somebody that I think was was such a, a dynamic force. Like when you watched his stuff and you see his comedy, when you think about even how he does the likes of, of even just the voice of the genie in Aladdin. I mean, it is not just 24 to the dozen. I mean, this is a guy who ran at 48 to the dozen. He was just so on fire all the time. Like a man who was permanently on drugs, even though, you know, he, he'd long abandoned and got himself cleaned from a lot of that stuff. Um, but he was just a force we reckon with and so full of life and so full of energy. Yeah, that, that genie performance, I think, is, um, for those of us around that age, is a, is a big one. Um, and I think, now, I never believe what you read on the internet, but I do think I read somewhere that all those kind of impressions that they, they, they had to kind of put those in. Disney just had to go, look, here are the songs that you have to do. And then they just kind of had to let them go because they couldn't kind of keep it in. And there's, there's all sorts of impressions and references in that genie performance that apparently weren't in any of Disney's intention or scripting or any story, no storyboard had some of that. And they literally had to go back and go flip sick with the draw Jack Nicholson now in this genie. Like, <laughs> you know, but that may be a that may be an internet sensation story. I can't I have no verified source for that, but I did read it somewhere. I hope I hope it's true. Do you know one of those stories that you actually go, I really hope that story is true. Um but yeah that genie performance is a is probably a big one like substitutions exchanges are refund that's all and don't try to wish for more wishes because that's a little redundant three wishes to be exact no substitutions exchange a refund my first choices were not good that's why i had to really kind of go oh, disney disney not since the dancing mushrooms have we seen this much intensive walt shh burn that tape for all of us do you have favorite performances i mean if if, if you if someone was to say look recommend me a robin williams film uh, what would be your default? What would be the one you say that this is this is a Robin performance? This is the one that you should go and see. Yeah. Um, oh, there's so many, there's so many. Like in in that kind of childhood uh, stream of things, I think of things like Mrs. Doubtfire, um, and yeah. then kind of more older, mature performances. Um, obviously, Dead Poets is a big one. Um, but even like more slightly obscure stuff, like I'm a big fan of Bicentennial Man, where he ends up being the like the robot butler for the family. Yeah, um, that's brilliant. That one. I think that's a that's a great film, and it's I think I think it's a bit um, underappreciated in terms of those those great those great uh, Robin Williams roles. And I'm also a big fan of Hook, mm-hmm. um, which I think takes a lot of flack, and I don't. 
I know I heard Steven Spielberg interviewed once and he said, if I could redo one film, it would be Hook because I don't think it's good enough. Um, and I kind of went, oh, no, don't I? I'm a, I'm a big Hook fan now. And um, I've sat with the kids and watched it and they've, they've enjoyed that too. So, um, yeah, there's, there's so many we could do. We could, we could fill ours, you know, Goodwill Hunting, all those things. And obviously one of the big ones we're going to come to, but yeah. What what about you, Ben? Anything that you'd kind of go to as the default? What would be your your kind of um, bicentennial man? I really like that. And um, what's the one where he starts off as a like grown up, or like he, he ages like four that... times as fast as a normal person? What's that one called? Um, Jack. Jack. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good one. It's very sad. Um, but like I think he. Like he has that sort of, I don't know, it's like that childishness. Like he he does it so well. Mm-hmm. Like you know he's he's a eight year old, but he's in a like thirty year old's body or whatever it is. You know that mental and the voices and everything. It just um he sits that character down to a T. Um, Hook, yeah, I watched Hook. Um, I don't know. Um, but, uh, there's so many um there's so many films yeah i mean like i i grew up uh remembering watching mark and mindy on on channel four i mean so like without realizing it i was exposed to him from from very early age and that kind of manic childish fun persona although mm. we later discovered he was on cocaine for a huge amount of it as well it's sort of <laughs> uh, but you know it was it was hugely entertaining and then i mean i do remember i, I remember seeing hook in the cinema um quite enjoying it at a point where I didn't go to the cinema that often um, but I think for me Popeye was another weird one which is, is is not liked by very many people so we should probably cover it at some point um, but it's it, that's one that always stuck out in my head because it wasn't quite what I expected and I think that's what brings me into what we're going to talk about tonight is that mm-hmm. actually when you start looking back on it we're, we're going to talk about a film uh, called One Hour Photo that's what we're kind of our focus is tonight but actually one reason we were, we were talking about doing this one was because it it sort of sat against type it wasn't robin playing um this kind of usual manic pixie kind of character this is him doing something slightly different but when you sit and you start looking back through his his oeuvre um there's an awful lot of robin williams films that are not very robin williams he does an awful lot of of, of kind of slightly um offbeat characters that aren't so manic um, I did a little binge of the last couple of days and uh, I mean, I was watching Awakenings, which he's, he's very definitely, you know, he's quite a very reserved, quite a still kind of doctor in that one. Um, obviously watched this again. I, uh, you know, I, recently I watched Dead Poet Society and um, also watched Fisher King. I mean, there are a lot of those films that actually they, they play a slightly different kind of Robin. And it's funny because we have this idea of him as being this kind of really in your face, very gregarious, very larger than life character. But actually, mm. an insomnia was the other one I watched, um, which which Neil had recommended to me, which I'd never got around to seeing before. Um, but he does these, and actually, it's a much much stiller kind of performance. This is something that's much more more subdued and and um, tighter and and more dramatic and more powerful in many respects. I think. So have we got Robin all wrong? That's the question. Um, we don't want, don't want to answer that one straight away. Um, 
what we're going to do, well, look, we're going to talk about One Hour Photo, uh, which if you've never seen, uh, it was a 2002 film in which Robin plays uh, Sai, the photo guy, a, a very friendly, uh, slightly weird uh, gentleman who works on a photo booth in a supermarket. Um, and he basically processes photographs. That's what he does. He's, he's very good at it. He loves his job. Um, but he also loves his customers. He, he feels like he knows them intimately. Um, through processing their, their work day in, day out. And then he gets himself embroiled in a situation where he uncovers a perfect little family that he idolizes. Their lives are not so perfect after all, and it becomes a rather melancholy kind of sinister film. If you've not seen the film and you don't want to share any spoilers, I suggest that you turn off this podcast at this point, go and watch the film and then come back. For those of you that have seen it or are happy enough for spoilers, we will continue. So from this point on, if we did a, a, a spoiler warning, this is it. You have been warned, there are spoilers ahead. Someone seems sad. They don't have any friends. It makes me feel bad for them. Who is that and doesn't have any friends? Sai. The photo guy at the one-hour place? We really don't know that much about him, you know? I mean, he might even have a lot of friends. He probably has a girlfriend and, and a mommy and a daddy who love him. I've been doing mini lab work for over 20 years now. I consider it an important job. Hi, Mrs. Yorkin. Can I get that address again? Yes, it's 326 Serrano Terrace. What you got there? Family photos? Yeah. Yeah, you mind if I take a look? Mr. Jorgen, you have a wonderful family. And if you don't mind my saying so, a very beautiful house, too. I'm sorry? According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word snapshot was originally a hunting term. So if anybody's looking for it, it is available on Disney Plus on that um, star uh, bit that they've added with the, all those kind of Fox searchlight films, um, which is actually quite a nice wee catalogue of um, slight oddities and, and uh, little kind of semi-independent. I mean, it's not really independent if it's Fox, but like those kind of smaller Fox films that kind of don't get the massive hype machine behind them. So it's on there if anybody wants to go and check it out. He's very well practiced, isn't he? With all the information he's got at hand. <laughs> that, that's down. Um, okay, what do we think about one-hour photo? Let's, let's, let's start broad and let's work our way in. 
I'm going to start by, uh, let me start by saying I really like this. I went to see this in the cinema in 2002. And like at that point, I was watching everything. I had a cinema card. So I went, I literally went to every single film that came out. It was fantastic. Best time of my life. Cinemas in Northern Ireland, please bring back something that is, that will allow me to see every film as many times as I want. Um, but I went to see that. And I remember being really, really struck by it. I was, I find him very, very effective. And again, because it was against the type that I kind of expected from him. And, you know, I'm quite fond of my horrors and my thrillers anyway. I suspect that was a big part of it. Um, but I kind of, I end up getting this one on DVD not that long after as well. So, and I, you know, I didn't, I don't buy everything that I see at the cinema on, on disc, but this is one I really liked and I thought was worth rewatching, which I have done, including this week. Um, so I like it. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, ben, you hadn't seen this before. No, never seen it before. So I'm, I'm going to come to you first um, because I'm I'm really intrigued by somebody who's who who hasn't seen this. Where the, what they kind of what they what they're expecting and what they kind of got out of this. I wasn't uh, from uh, whenever I watched the sort of open of it. I was because I didn't have any like you know um, like pre um, Precon- what's the word? preconceptions preconception. Um, Whenever I first watched it, there, uh, I was like, "Is this a thriller or horror or something like that?" Because it, you know, it, it gives off that vibe like pretty early on, and then uh, I was getting into it, and then uh, you sort of you, you feel sorry for you feel sorry for Sai, and you definitely know that he's 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 a quite damaged individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't really understand why until you know the sort of last scene um or maybe that's a hint as to you know what has possibly happened to him in the past which sounds quite quite tragic mm. um and you maybe could i don't know re- sort of understand his obsession with um photography and photos if you know if that had been part of like that traumatic experience that he had whenever he was younger mm-hmm. by the sounds of it anyway um but yeah no it was, it was like um it is very creepy um again it, there's kind of like a you know it's definitely a very serious role like there's no there's no real laughs or anything like that in it um i, I don't think I, I chuckled once <laughs> um and and that movie, you know, because it was so, just because the content, um, like that's a tagline. Film. I didn't chuckle once, and it starred fucking Robin Williams. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, you expect like maybe like one or two, you know, we gags or something, mm-hmm. but you didn't didn't get that. It, you know, it was very serious. Um, and and quite um, you know, quite quite scary. You know, in in parts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, fascinating. Overall, you liked or didn't like. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, like, uh, you know, as I said, I, I watched Bicentennial Man. Um, I was quite fond of that, and you know, that's sort of you know pretty serious as well. Um, you know, there's not there's not that many gags in that, but you know, he does definitely does have that uh, that um, you know serious side down. He is he is a serious actor. Or he can act seriously mm. you know, when he wants to. Um, obviously. You know, looking at that documentary that, that we watched, you know, there were bits in that where he was cracking jokes in between scenes and things. On, on um, this on this very film, on, yeah. On yeah. this very film, yeah. But then uh, then you see the performance and you're like, how can you flip between 
being the funniest man alive to being so so serious in this in this scene like three seconds straight after the director's yelled action you know yeah. it's um yeah no I, I really enjoyed it neil so you yeah. had seen this before yeah i saw it um a long time ago I hadn't, I hadn't actually watched it in a in a good few years um i seem to remember picking it up at extra vision randomly one of those <laughs> kind of oh robin williams on the cover of a video and kind of going home and then getting 20 minutes in and going this is not what i thought <laughs> this was going to be at all um it do you think like in terms of a genre would you say thriller i kind of came away going this is this is a bit of a thriller like if, if and i don't i don't really like pigeonhole thing but, but would you kind of put it in and around there somewhere i think so. i said to ben it was more of a psychological thriller because he didn't know what to expect and i kind of had to give him some kind of genre thing mm, i don't yeah. think it's a horror film there, there are very definitely elements of horror within it yes uh, it could have definitely went horror oh yeah <laughs> um so there's there's a couple of moments where it, it, it you know it, it creeps towards that but this is this is not i think the absence of supernatural i think the absence of of, of graphic violence really i mean actually yeah. the, the, there is a knife and there is some deeply unpleasant scenes involving sexualized setups which are themselves fascinating um but this is not a horror film as such. I think I think it is definitely a thriller, um, but a, a, a pretty kind of. There, very there is a there is a moment where he's having a dream, mm. and he's he's stood on his own in like the aisle of the supermarket. He works. Oh yeah, nothing yeah. on the shelves, and he goes to his eyes, and the you know just red comes out of his eyes, like blood or like um, some kind of color from the toner mm -hmm. or whatever like it, it's really quite disturbing and it, it's only like it's only a few seconds like at the time of the tail end of a nightmare he's having but it's never really um explained or or dwelt on and just to it i think its purpose is just to kind of make you realize that this is a troubled individual mm -hmm. that this isn't this isn't somebody who is um not 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 all there but somebody who is um has something darker within them yeah. than we actually realize is being played out and it, it's yeah it's quite a graphic horror type moment and i know that you you want to talk about i think we, we collectively want to talk a bit about the aesthetics of this i think that for me is a kubrick moment that's a reference to the shining surely mm -hmm. i mean like that's that's what i kind of think of i think about the the mall that this shopping center a bit like the overlook it's a bit like the, you know, when there's a couple of um, uh, sort of steady cam shots where they're following him around, like after he gets fired, when he kind of walks off and the camera's kind of pulling back. And you can just imagine Jack Nicholson walking through the maze in The Shining at that moment. And again, there is that thing, you know, where they stumble upon all the blood that comes out of the lift and stuff. That, that I think, is, is possibly. I've not done enough reading around this to kind of see if it is or not, but I, that for me is what, I feel evoked in that moment. I, I watched this, this with my wife and when he's coming out of the supermarket like that, she's like, no supermarket stacked like this. No supermarket has everything so wonderfully blocked off. It is the cleanest supermarket in that I have ever come across. It's um, really, really, it is really, really sterile. The world that he inhabits mm -hmm. is, is very mm -hmm. sterile and um, in many ways bland. Um 
I always assume that he's, we we can have a bit more of a generalized discussion. I think at this point, like for me, I think, I don't want to say he's on the spectrum because that just sounds like such an offensive and dismissive way of looking at it. But I get the impression that this is somebody who maybe has got some sort of different way of looking at the world. Um, You know, and I think it's what we have for, for a number of years now lumped as, as sort of autistic tendencies you know yeah. he's certainly a bit OC, he's certainly very ocd which is not the same thing at all just, just <laughs> you know being ocd is not sneaky autistic or on the spectrum but i think he, he definitely shows those kind of tendencies you look at the way this flat is how sterile it is you look at his work environment but that's not just him it's this whole world that we are we're seeing yeah he has he has some very awkward customer interactions um like a like a social like you're saying like there's a there's almost like a like he's unable to recognize social cues from some people and things like that and he freaks out at one point because the blue and the photo printer is like 0.3 off and the the uh, workman comes to look at it and goes say nobody cares about this and he's like i care i care about this and it's like it's it's yeah you're right like there is those wee things uh in and around him that that's that's what i mean where you realize like there's something not um sorry are you kidding me what i got three of these fucking machines down today i'm gonna be in heber springs by three larry all i'm asking you to do is look at these prints plus point three sorry are you fucking kidding me point three nobody gives a shit until those ships are in the double digits it's blue larry well, I'll bet Brant cares about a plus point three. Are you fucking threatening me? You're breaking my balls over a plus three blue shift. Fucking asshole. Next time you call me out here, that thing better be belching fire. That's a great attitude, Larry. Thanks for your precision work. Like, he sees the world differently, and he has... He has ideas of what the world should be differently, which then feeds into how he um, kind of responds to that family. Ben was asking earlier if, if, if you know, it's a little bit confused by the ending of this. I'm, I'm correct. Well, there's a lot of confusion for me <laughs> the way the way this thing ends and throughout. Um, I don't know. Just while you're talking there, I'm like having like little ideas. Is like, you know, is is Sai are like a super genius like is he trying to fix this relationship you know and and this is his grand plan to or or maybe get try and get some kind of reaction from um what's her name i can't remember her name the wife the wife yes the wife is um name that we refer to on screen because uh, of course um daphne didn't write these things down yeah uh nina nina um yeah i was like is this his grand plan to like fix their relationship and you know i don't know there's, there's lots of lots of questions and crazy theories that you could go so down is it i mean do we do is this a real world or actually are we just subjected to size dream skip for the whole duration of this film because as you say, Neil, I mean, it isn't just that size world, which we see his apartment, it is very, very sterile. It is very, very specific. But 
that supermarket is unlike any supermarket on the planet. Uh, you, I mean, I've been in shops in the States. They do not exist like that. The, the way that people function, everything is, there's nobody replenishing the stock. It's just always perfect. Um, is, this, is this all a fantasy? It could be. Possibly. There are, there are some great fantasy moments in the film, um, like fairly early on, where you think he has broken into the house. Yes. He's sitting outside the house and you think he has walked in he has gone around the house, looked at everybody's bedroom, said, oh, Jack, the, you know, the young son, you really need to tidy your room and I bet your mother's told you. Then he goes and takes a dump. Then he goes and puts the guy's hoodie on and sits watching the football. The family walk back in and treat it like everything's normal and he's just part of the furniture. And then it cuts back to the car. And it's, it's so well done because even having seen it lots of years ago, I was convinced in that moment, something was going to happen. Yeah. Um, my heart was in my chest whenever, yeah. whenever they were coming into the house. I was like, "What's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's happening?" And then they're like, "Uncle Si," and I'm like, "What?" Yeah. And then cut the cut the car. It's like, "Oh wow, that does the head melt in a half?" So he does. He does very clearly have um, great imagination or fantasies about what he wants because this. The other thing that uh, we talked about when we watched it was the easy thing to do with this film is to make it a sexual thing, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the really easy play of this is to make him attracted to the wife and want to be with the wife. That's not what this is. No. This, there's, there's no real um, sexual element to it. He, he's, um, he's very asexual. Yeah. Really, he, isn't he? Completely. There's no, there's no inference of any... Um, kind of, kind of sexual want towards anybody in this family at all. It is yeah. pure. His desire is to be, to my mind, is to be part of this family because he has he has idealized and fantasized this family into perfection, which then it transpires they are not, <laughs> um, and that actually sends him over the edge because somebody has presented he has he has worked out in his head this idea of perfection and then that that perfection becomes imperfect and he can't cope with that and to go back to what you were saying about the kind of um be it uh like an like a possible asd thing or something like that when you you know when you have an idea of something that doesn't work out that can cause a reaction Mm -hmm. that is what you suffer from um so yeah it's it's very 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 interesting um yeah it's those moments of fantasy and the the, the tension that comes with those is what what makes it a thriller mm -hmm. uh in many ways because it's not like you're saying ben that like the pounding you get in your chest in that moment where you think he's in the house the, yeah. the kind of the thrill of what is going to happen is the yeah. is the thing that creates the emotive response um and yeah it's and he's so cold like mm -hmm. he's so he's so unemotional really until towards the very end when he's starting to kind of unravel a bit yeah that it it, it it's really clever in making us have such an emotive response to those moments 
with a character who is this is not a psychotic individual um or angry individual there's no it's it's very kind of hard to get a read off him um i, th- I think it is at his core once we get the end we realize that this is somebody who just wants normality and wants to be part of a loving family um do you, do you think it's that simple though i mean there is there is i think something slightly sociopathic about the way he goes about stuff i mean he, there is an element of him being almost like a robot which again may tie in with the, the you know the sort of suggestions of, of, of whatever it is that he's projecting or what we're meant to think that he's projecting um he's he doesn't feel like a regular guy you've said this already you know he he, he doesn't read social cues properly he, he's awkward with his transactions um but he is also kind of mirroring and trying to ingratiate himself um now obviously he buys the toy for the child which you know could be seen as a very genuine attempt at, at kind of uh, trying to bond with the family by doing a nice thing there doesn't seem to be anything untoward although obviously as he's walking across the park with them you know you're kind of thinking is he a pedophile without a doubt you're meant to think that this guy's a pedo um but then there's also that point where you know he sees the book that she's reading and he isn't reading the book to understand i think he's he's reading it to lure her in hence then he follows her to the mall and forces himself into a seat adjacent to her and happens to have read the first 20 pages of the book so he's got a choice quote within the i mean you can see when he opens it it's very early on apparently in that book he's not gone halfway through he's he's, he's picked something quite early on it's, it's the sort of thing that you you sort of see in, in, in rom-coms and things it's like oh i'm going to pretend i'm an intellectual i'm going to pretend i'm reading a book um but it's not actually what you're up to. I mean, that th- that is slightly disturbing, is it not? Yeah, but I, I think it, there's more to that scene as well. Like, well, it's, it's even when he shows the photograph of his mother that we know is not his mother. Yeah. Do you have any children, sir? Me? No, I'm not married. No girlfriends? No. I have a snapshot of my mother, though. Hmm. She looks very nice. She's passed away. Oh. Um. I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, but yeah, have you ever been to like a car boot sale or anything where somebody has been selling old random photos? Yeah, I know. I, I buy them. <laughs> <laughs> I I am sad. <laughs> you actually, you you have? Yeah, yeah but is this the thing that happens? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I I have um I have I have some great photographs I got on job lots on eBay of, of like German soldiers during the war. Just out in the ranks, it's, uh, and photographs of people I have no idea who they are, but the okay. photographs are cool. No, but that, that kind of has a bit of a historical context to it. I don't like people's snaps. I mean, I haven't yeah, gone that far yet. The photos that he buys, or the photo yeah. that he buys, looks like it's from like a personal collection because yeah. they're not they're not like um, they're kind of like passport wallet sized photos. They're not. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like portraits of you know uh, pieces of art or whatever. And the mother, right. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the picture he picks as the mother mm-hmm. looks a lot like Nina. 
Um, or, or very similar to. I, you, I felt uh, anyway. You're probably right, and I don't think I picked up on it properly. Um, that's interesting. I I kind of looked at that photo when he when he first picked it up and thought that that looks a bit. And then when particularly when you see her uh, in the in the mall moment, mm-hmm. he she has a very different kind of hairstyle in that moment, and to what to what we've seen before. And when he takes the photo out and she looks at it, I I felt it was very, um, not not um, a direct likeness, but certainly a very a very similar likeness in in between the photo and her. So what mm. what's the reading then of that? I mean, is this to say that he's looking? He, is is this actually an indication of the sort of relationship that actually he wants? Is that there is the sense of of, of being mothered is something that he's lacking? Yeah, I think like in the fantasies, he wants to be the uncle. Um, or he, he, he is referred to as Uncle Sai by them. Mm-hmm. And I th- that, I don't know. Does he want to be a child of the family? Does he want to be a sibling of the adults? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I think the buying of the toy and the buying of the book are to generate ways in uh-huh. to to family life um i didn't particularly feel they are sinister although when he's sitting on the bleachers in all, in the kind of tan like khaki gear um it, do you know what it reminded me of and it gave me the creeps you know uh steve buscemi in con air that very right. creepy scene where he goes and sits with the little girl when he comes off the plane at the kind of deserted empty swimming pool okay I, I kind of thought of that and that that moment is very that moment is very creepy. Uh-huh. I didn't think I'd get the con air from this, but I'm gonna go there anyway. But that, <laughs> right. that kind of like it, you're right in terms of there is something uncomfortable for any any adult watching an interaction with somebody who's slightly off with a child because you're like there is a protective element within us all that mm-hmm. goes, what's going on? you know and the coach the coach kind of goes are you okay and the kid goes yeah and that's that's that and i'm like I need the up the safeguarding at that football team i tell you <laughs> yeah well you're both parents i mean so i'm assuming that you would sort of see potentially the the implicit threat within within that i mean yes i mean yeah ben is a man who who, who knows how to how to tussle <laughs> do, do you feel like tussling si initially i was like what is what is he doing? Like, what? Why are you there? How the heck do you know he's at a football game? As well, that's that's because no, no, there's that's not mentioned now anywhere. And then there's this scene with him playing football, and then you expect the parents or something to be there, but they're shy. Say, like, how the hell did he know? Mm-hmm. You know, I I did get like, oh my god, is is he like? a pedo or, or some kind of creep um but then you see him like you know he just wants to give him the toy but again um i don't know too many kids if they were given this fancy toy would say no <laughs> yours wouldn't you mean <laughs> mine wouldn't no they probably wouldn't they'd probably be like yeah give me that that's amazing Neil, um, yours would they say no <laughs> No, not try- I mean, I am actually uncle to Ben's kids, so that's okay. Yeah, but it's it's that thing of when you are familiar with a person, 
you know, there, there, there is, there, there is a thing where it's not a stranger. No, it's not. It's not a close family friend Mm -hmm. either. But it's not. It's not a stranger to the child. Um. So it, it maybe, I thought, in that moment that the child says no because. There was a there was the moment in the store and the dad was like no time for any more toys let's mm. go and he realizes if he brings that home he, he might get in trouble there's gonna there's gonna be questions that will then come yeah. back to Sai and then because he's he's he the child is very um keen uh on on Sai like mm-hmm. likes going to the photo booth likes doing that likes leaving in the pictures picking them up getting away instant camera because it was his birthday you know there's a there's a friendliness there that i think in that moment i think the boy realizes if he takes the toy that all goes away mm-hmm. potentially yeah. and that is more i think that's a bigger risk to the child than actually taking the toy i think mm. um or it might just be that i'm a very lax parent and the child is brilliant in that moment and should be applauded for his <laughs> clarity of conscience and, and strong will. What's wrong? It's, it's the one you wanted. Mr. Parrish, I can't take this. Sure you can't, Jake. My parents wouldn't let me. I better be getting back home now. You sure? Yeah, thanks anyway, Mr. Parrish. Okay, see you around the store. Okay. Hey, Jake, the name's Cy. Okay, Cy. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. They should definitely be applauded because, like, I no one, no one kids. I don't think, I, I don't think that that's a normal thing that they would do unless they've been, like, strictly t- told by the parents. Obviously, I've told my kids, don't take stuff from strangers. So maybe I feel, feel now we've got a test, a Cine Punk test coming on with the first. <laughs> <laughs> it's Uncle Neil giving us. <laughs> Uh, stranger danger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyone, you know, any, I don't know. anyone with the beard's fine. Take good stuff from them. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's there's a couple of things I want to want to kind of tease out. Um one, I just want to pick up on what I think is the glaring plot hole in the film. Um, which is the fact that it takes them until this point to pick up that Sai has been printing off extra prints. Yeah. You know, which clearly he has been doing for the last nine years. Sorry, there's been some discrepancies in the click, huh? That's probably Yoshi. You know, his math skills are pretty weak, but I told you about that when you moved him over from audio. All the discrepancies are around the logs that you initialed. They are? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I guess sometimes at the end of the week you get a little tired. We're not talking about a few innocent math errors, Si. The net clicks all zero out. They always zero out. The problem is, Si, that the shutdown clicks don't correspond at all. I mean... They don't even come close to matching the amount of prints that we sold. Well, then it's probably a problem with the reorder counter. Well, I asked Larry about that. What did he say? Well, he looked at the counter and said that he checked out. He also said that in 14 years of servicing, he's never seen a faulty counter on an Agfa unit. Really? So the question is, where did all those unaccounted for prints go? Well, what kind of discrepancy are we talking about, Bill? We're talking about hundreds of prints, Si. <laughs> That's not possible, Bill. Oh, no. I've done the math. 
And the P.O.'s confirm it, too. Well, I don't know anything about it. Well, I think you do, sir. Because yeah. he's got pictures of that family right from the word go. And it's only now nine years in. They go, Sai, you've got a lot of extra prints been going off. What's been happening? He's been doing it for years. Why is he only getting stopped now? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't see it. Also, I mean, like you see those prints up on the wall. You're thinking, if he's been taking all those prints for years, there's going to be more photographs than this. Surely. Yeah, there's no way that's... Um... Nine, eleven before that, because he had pictures of them two together without the child, and then when the child was born, mm. and you know, could, pro- could, their college days, even. I mean, it could be that know? thing where you find a roll of film. I found one this afternoon, you know, that, that's been sitting in your drawer for 20 years, and you kind of like take it along and get it developed. It's just like, oh, well, this could be good memories, it could be bad. Let's wait and see which X is on these photographs. Yeah. <laughs> that, that thing about the, the manager, too, um, because I said the same thing when we were watching it. And I was like, "How is this? How is this only being caught now? Is this a new manager? Is this a new, a new thing?" But also, then, just to completely take back my my comments about him not being a psychopath, when he then leaves the film in to be developed after he is sacked, and it is the daughter of the manager, mm-hmm. that's like at at that point of unraveling, that's a moment where you're like, "Ooh, crazy man." <laughs> See, but I. See, I, I think that's part of his plan. His his ultimate goal is to be caught by the police. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's he's done that. Like I think he's smarter, like he's he's forward thinking and planning stuff out well well in advance. Um well I mean that that's very definitely a deliberate because even just the nature of those photographs, it's not like he's been monitoring her as she goes about her daily business, which is where, you know, if you were PI or whatever else, you would really wind people up. It's literally one continuous set of shots that get closer to her from one position. All he needs to have done is drive past the house once, taking that roll of film, and it's enough to set off the chain reaction that it then induces. Yeah. Um, I think is that I mean even the cops kind of recognize that he's just trying to piss you off because you know this did not go down well, um, but it is just that little hint of menace, and because it's a child, again it just brings back all our kind of instincts. It lifts the level of that. Like if it, if it was if it was a wife, say or or a partner, mm. yes, that's that's threatening, but it's not. It, yeah, it's not as menacing. As taking a picture of a of a young child who would be a lot more defenseless, etc. Um, that doesn't mean taking pictures of the wife and making them into a flick book would be okay, but you know, I, I think there is a there's there's a certain level of menace um, uh-huh. in it in it being a child. Yeah, there is there is something kind of interesting about this this film and the fact that we're talking about a film that's about a one hour photo booth that it's that it's. Um, a film about the the end of the analog era. There was even a conversation where they talk about the same again a digital camera. Oh no, don't go digital. You know, then I'd be out of a job. You're out of a job anyway. Um, but like we're we're talking about this this sort of era. You know, I think you've said already. Like people don't. We were talking about this before we just started doing the record. People don't take photographs anymore. We don't have photo albums. Yeah, in the, in the sense we have. Of we have photo albums on Facebook, but we don't have physical photo albums. <laughs> we don't have, you know, like lean across my desk. You know, I mean, I've got packets of these still from 
for the benefit of our listeners and not our viewers. Um, I have an album of photos in my hand, actual photographs, which I'm not going to share with the group because I don't know what's in them. Oh, no, it's all right. It's, it's dead celebrities. Sure, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be one of those guys who takes in my, uh, my porno photographs to the, the, the chemist anyway, which <laughs> the whole thing that's going on there. Although I did work in a video store round about that time. And, um, you know, we would sell softcore DVDs and, and, and occasionally you'd get guys who would return them. So they didn't work. Uh, you think you're looking at how grubby they were you go no wonder it doesn't work it's all covered in lube <laughs> true story <laughs> sorry neil <laughs> i was gonna say a dvd didn't work or a dvd didn't work for the individual <laughs> that's exactly why i used to say them but you had to take it back it was just weird but anyway I, I digress um but there was this odd thing i mean like this is the end of an era this is an era where people did go out of their way and i had never really contemplated before that if you go to the same place day in day out week in week out and you're always leaving your films in there is a kind of relationship between the people that you leave them with because they see everything. They see all your prints. They get an access into your life that you have no control over. On Facebook, you at least can, certainly at various points, it's been better or worse. Um, you know, where you can actually limit who gets to look at whatever's in your albums. You know, you can be very, very restrictive in this, but here you've no idea. And even to the point where... Um, he recognizes the woman that the husband is having an affair with, which we haven't even talked to. So she comes in mm. randomly and hasn't been, isn't a regular, but he he has enough of kind of like a, a Rolodex memory to go, I know you from somewhere. And it's actually from one of uh, the family's photos. Mm-hmm. When you see him up on the wall with like this great little uh, magnifying, like looks like a... Uh, wing, wing, like a wing mirror, yeah. Yeah. with like the wee spot of, of magnification on it and like he's able to go and pick that out um from that wall you know and yeah that's yeah like that thing of he has he has um kind of watched a lifelong flick book of this family in some ways coming out of that printer mm-hmm. um that he loves so much um that's it. yeah it's interesting it did it did make me want to like take a photo on film mm-hmm. it, it, it did have a very um like nostalgic feel to it even to the point of those early because some of were some of the cameras digital no he's not using any of those were digital you know when he's got like the the scope lens kind of coming out no so it's all analog all film yeah um they, they certainly have maybe digital displays and stuff, but mm. they're, and even the, the, the scanner, the, the printer machine obviously has a digital element to it. Yeah. But it's, it's a digital element that, that processes and it, it develops the stuff in a, in an analog chemical way. Yeah. Um, like he, he also gets one of, one of the interesting things coming away from it too, was he also gets to see everybody's imperfections as well. Mm-hmm. whereas now if we take a photo we don't like on our phones we just go hang on we'll do it again and take it you know we just <laughs> do it straight away get rid of it mm-hmm. and get the right one like there's very, i would imagine like between the three of us there's very few um not totally perfect pictures but the pictures that we want are on our phones now the picture like i remember getting photos developed and like a third of them being you know 
absolutely useless because you like had your thumb over the lens or you you know something like that and it's a bit of shake on the yeah like that's picture a bit of blur mm-hmm. that's not that's not in our world anymore no. um there's there definitely something going on there i i did anyone else notice there's a bit of shake actually in the camera in some of the sequences i had forgotten about this i remember watching it originally and thinking like what's going on was it was it just like somebody had cocked up on a on a on a roller or something but it's I only in certain shots connection <laughs> no there's there is very definite shake in some of the shots and when i'm sitting i'm thinking about it i'm wondering is that is that deliberate is is this like almost like the like the process of 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 sort of um like if i don't know how many i don't know how many of you or how many of our listeners or watchers have actually ever used darkroom um, but when you go on through that whole procedure, there is a point at which you're kind of developing the film and there is a bit of a shaking in the chemicals. Whenever you've got Polaroids, you know, people used to shake it like a Polaroid picture, you know, um, to help that kind of, which apparently you shouldn't do because it's not good for, for, the, for the Polaroid. But there is that process where, where that action kind of makes the stuff um, solidify, becomes real. Now, you see, it's interesting now you say that in the context of saying, is he living in a fantasy world? Mm-hmm. Do those moments happen at points of unraveling? I can't remember now. I'm having this. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. I, I'm not sure because I didn't note it down. But I am. I, I find it such an odd effect, and it's quite a subtle one. Um, I I'm can't assuming. remember. I can't remember now either. But I'm thinking, is it a shaking of his world type thing in those moments? Do you know? Ben didn't even notice by the looks of him. He's, he's like, I didn't <laughs> notice. I didn't notice one bit. I genuinely, because we both commented on it when we, we were sitting watching it, and I genuinely thought it was something with like the connection to Disney Plus that I had. I would, <laughs> I would have to rewatch it again and and see like where the where where this is. It only happens twice, maybe three times. It's yeah. not it's not a regular it's not a regular thing. And it's, there's right. no oh. way that wouldn't get picked up on dailies. And clearly they were in that, that shoot enough time to get that fixed. This is why I think it's possibly a deliberate it, thing. Yeah, probably is a deliberate thing. Um, and and bearing in mind everything else that's going on, because I'm, I'm thinking about this in terms of the process, in, in terms of the fantasy. And I mean, ultimately we're talking about him living in a fantasy world, him projecting himself onto these images, which is exactly what we do whenever we watch a film, if we, if we allow ourselves to get immersed in a film, we are projecting ourselves onto the screen. And the idea for most of us is that actually we, we imagine ourselves as part of the world of that film. We're immersed mm-hmm. by it. And, and so we kind of buy into it. And that's kind of what he does within this, that he's buying into this world of this little fantasy. Even whenever it comes down to the sequence where they're in the hotel room, with uh, well, and he, he gets up to the the room and with the knife and everything. Yeah, let's, let's talk about their eyes wide shut moment. You know, I'm, I'm convinced there's much a lot more Kubrick in this film than, uh, but when he's in that, um, he makes them pose for a number of photographs. Now, Neil, you've already said it's not sexualized. That he is not. That he, he's quite an asexual being, and just pretend. He, yeah, he, don't actually do it. <laughs> just pretend. He almost turns them into mannequins. Yeah. Like even, mm. even the way they're holding their arms, I'm doing it on the video. Um, and they're like <laughs> very kind of like, you know, arms are at right angles and not there's nothing about the poses that he puts them into that is that, that looks natural and human at that point. Like they do, they look very 
very like kind of shop mannequins mm-hmm. do you know um and then there's no actual pictures well th- this is this is the point i want to get to because he clearly takes a bunch of photographs and he asks to see them because they process them he says you guys got a lab it's like yeah we've got a lab <laughs> can i see my pictures like it's not a courtesy but whenever he does finally get to see the photographs, we're expecting, I mean, you're kind of thinking like, are the cops really going to let him jerk off o- over a yeah. bunch of like sexualized images? And what we see is the most mundane kind like, of, I mean, hotel sink and everything. So you can't help but ask yourself questions about what actually is going on at that point. I mean, there's clearly something. Where he he clearly does kidnap them. I mean, I think there's enough said by the cops that there's something goes on, and he goes through the motions of taking photographs, but he doesn't actually seem to take the photographs. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think there's some next level brain brain stuff going on with him. Like, I thought uh, when he when he he lays the photos out and mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of lays them out and kind of snakes them round. I was like, is there some kind of way, like, are you going to pan up and see like something in the, in the color of the, the photos? Like I was expecting to see like somebody's face or something in it. And I was, cause it was so like purposely done in a very particular order. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of wondered was something going on there or, or is he able to look at those pictures and go, that's the moment where I had them do this. That's the moment where I had them do that. You know, does he does he see what was happening like on the bed or in the bathroom at that point when he looks at you know the door handle mm-hmm. he knows where where everybody in the room is i think i think his brain is quite photographic i think he has a, a very like photographic recall and i wondered those photos look like nothing to the police but to him mm-hmm. they, yeah they capture you know, because he has, you know, you hear these these kind of voiceovers of photos capturing moments, and I wondered those photos in that moment signify something to him that the police will go, he's took a picture of a doorknob, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. I, I, I kind of wondered, was that was that the reference? Um, and also then, I just kind of wondered, was it like when they they come to the police and say, he did this to us, he did that, and he took photos of us, and they go, well, we've got a photo of a sink. Mm-hmm. Is is it to, and is that what he has gone through, where he he has had that experience where nobody believed him, yeah, and he's now reliving that, he's now pushing that kind of onto them, yeah, and and that type of thing. So that, that was just a couple of thoughts that went through my head. I mean, I think it's also worth co- referencing back that that Deepak Chopra line that he quotes to 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 her uh, in the calf where he says the things you're most afraid of have already happened. And I kind of feel that well, this is back to my film studies education days where you kind of, my, my professor would have always kind of pointed out whenever something is being cited as being an important piece of information. So there's a deliberate reason that he's quoting that. And it's, it's almost kind of, if it's already happened, then the whole thing with her, with the kidnapping and the the threat of violence. I mean, does that mean that that hasn't happened? That it's already been and gone? That, that 
you know, how are we meant to view the reality? I find it complex and I really want to go back and watch this again now with, with kind of the, the, the knowledge that actually maybe I don't know, did that did that that bit in the bedroom actually happen though as well? Because you know that his his because you've seen scenes where you thought were real mm-hmm. turned out to be a, a fabrication, you know, uh, in in his head. Is that hotel room scene a complete fabrication in his head as well? Like, did he actually go into that room? One one of the comments um, after our viewing was, "That's the cleanest looking police station I've ever seen in film." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that too. Like it's, a, yeah. it's a very white. When you think of police interview rooms, kind of traditionally in film, yeah, they're always like they're always grey, and... dull, dingy. Like yeah. that's very white, clinical, overexposed. One red chair sitting in front of him he's very white in terms of what he's wearing um mm. and you're like that's that's not it, it doesn't have the feel of a normal police station yeah um and maybe that's maybe maybe i'm getting to the point of over analyzing thing but in, in the context of the supermarket as well i don't it, think so because even within his apartment when you're talking about the police scene, like I think about that apartment wherever we're looking at the wall of photographs that he has lit up by the sort of lights that you would get at a crime scene. Or a construction. Or a construction site. Yeah. You, you, I'm assuming that if Neil was to stick a wall of photographs and decide to be a creep alongside them of, of, of somebody else's family, as I said to him the other day, I was like, I've never actually seen Neil's kids. I, I mean, or his wife. I mean, I just assume that, that this is a real family that he's got. Not just photographs. None, none of them are real. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you're going to do that, chances are you're going to stick your overhead light on. You might have like an upstander somewhere that you, you'll point in that direction. But how many of us will, will will take like a like a construction site or, or I, a crime scene? I thought they were like very art gallery lights. I thought he was using that wall as a as an art kind of installation of some sort like those lights kind of pushing up and they left the color and mm. they left the life out of those in the dullness of his apartment um because his apartment's very beige as well his his entire world is very beige um apart from his blue waistcoat yeah his apart from when he's at work on his messenger bag yeah. <laughs> um and i i thought that's that's um be it, be it a directoral choice or uh, to express something of the character to go, that's where he sees life and that's where he sees color and vibrancy in in uh, somebody else's um, in somebody else's life, mm-hmm. and the lights kind of accentuate that for him. Like I kind of looked at it as like a an art exhibition of sorts. Because they're yeah. they're also I don't know if they're all in order necessarily, but they're when he stands back a bit, or when the camera comes back a bit, they're very, um, again very organized, kind of color wise, up and down the wall. Um, there there are definitely points where you're looking at and there's like three or four photographs that are clearly from a burst, this, hmm. which is kind of interesting as well in terms of of sort of cinema, you know, because it's you know film is is a is a series of consecutive images that 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 are then juxtaposed in the cuts and that's where we get our meaning from so it's almost like you have these little bits of mini film within that 
you know, you could get like a, a microsecond of moving footage if you stuff those things together. Um, so I don't know what's going on and I haven't counted how many there are there. If there's any significance in the number of rows across the number of, of things down when it was 24 frames a second, it's a 24 photographs in each row. I have no idea. Um, but I kind of want to go back now and, and think about the whole thing as like a, a, a fabrication and as, as a dreamscape and as some great commentary on, on, on cinema itself. Mm. Possibly. I, I think it's a really, really clever film and I think it's so, um, I think it's a film you can watch on the very kind of basic thriller level, mm-hmm. but I think there's actually a lot more going on under the surface about kind of human um, psychology in some ways and how we view the world. Like if you if you think of taking an actual photo, like that bit where he talks about snapshot, mm-hmm. you know, and snapshot being a, originally a hunting term, no designated target, just a point and shoot, go bang, do it. like. That's all very. That's all very interesting to me. Like what what I was saying then about, like if we take a snapshot of, of this now, like what are we what are we capturing in that moment, you know? So what are we, what are we looking for? What are we looking at, and what what kind of is, like where's our, where's our viewfinder, pointed, when we're looking at life who are we pointing it towards why are we pointing it towards them you know those types of those types of questions kind of have rattled around in my brain the last couple of days and just a desire to get out and take some photos <laughs> even if it is on my phone <laughs> so i so want to say something creepy at this point about this but I'm not going to. <laughs> um just one more more kind of thought from me uh, i guess is would this have worked if it had been somebody else playing the part of Sai? I mean, what does what does Robin Williams bring to this that somebody else doesn't? Because obviously, whenever you're casting a film, you know you you cast actors for a reason, um, and everyone brings something else. What is it about Robin Williams that that makes this so effective, Ben? I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one. I don't know. Um, after watching that. Uh... You know that documentary about him, and you hear about his about his life and and things that have gone awry, and sort of you know you get a glimpse into his like mental, mm-hmm. um, mental psyche a bit. Um, even things he says at his you know stand ups and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, whenever you look at some of the scenes, and like you can see the you can see the sorrow. Mm-hmm. Like even in his eyes, um, you you can see a sadness and and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's like just his him being a fantastic actor, mm-hmm. or if that's him actually living. You know the way you, you get some actors who are you know method actors and yeah, they they become the person they they're playing. Um, I don't know what kind of style uh, Robin has, but I don't know he. It it probably wouldn't be the same film, um, if it was a you know a different different lead. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. I think it comes back to one of the things that they actually say. It's it's the person that you least expect. There's a moment in it where he sits and watches the Simpsons episode uh, with Sideshow Bob. It's very on the nose too. It's very like it's almost annoying. 
Um, more psychopathic killers <laughs> yeah like but there is there is this kind of line in the background when he's sitting there of it's the person that you least expect and for me picking up a video all those years ago with robin williams on the front of it i didn't expect that performance mm-hmm. yeah. so you don't expect when you the, the the expectation or the caricature of robin williams is the the mork the mm. you know um, good morning Vietnam the loud the um, kind of expressive Robin Williams um, dialed down out, out of the caricature is very unexpected so if mm-hmm. you put somebody like Ben was saying there about method acting so if you if you say for example Daniel Day-Lewis got that role mm-hmm. yeah no problem I can see that but for it to be for it to be somebody who in and around that time as well was doing a lot more kind of family mm-hmm. type films and, and end of things and traditionally would have been looked at as a I suppose and unfairly probably a family film guy mm-hmm. yeah it's it's very out of character and unexpected to see them then as um disturbed or psychopathic or um sociopathic or whatever whatever Mm. you want to kind of put that into and i think i think that's the thing it's the person that you least expect so like i'm trying to find somebody kind of in in my head in the modern like kind of now like some kind of equivalent to him and i can't do you know what that that just shows you how good he is because i can't even think of one off the top of my head i'm trying and i can't i can't even get one but if you think of people more comedic actors or traditionally more comedic actors in that role eddie murphy eddie murphy was yeah eddie murphy is in my head like yeah it, it would be it would be jarring to see somebody mm-hmm. it's, it's like seeing somebody out of context mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because our expectation is that this person is all kind of razzle dazzle, lied, yeah, all that stuff, you know. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a serious Eddie Murphy movie. I think there's bound to be a couple. I don't think he's done one. It's bound to have done one somewhere. That's a question for another day. Um, yeah, I think it is that it is that thing. It's that expectation of of the Robin Williams persona that's still in my head. Is is this great comic, um, full on? person and that that i'm increasingly aware of actually was not everything about him and it's not that we're you know that we're colored now by knowing how the story how his story ends it's it's actually just seeing that there were a lot more of those films that he was making and 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 somehow and they were, a lot of them were were quite well acknowledged and respected at the time it's just that that his star persona was such that it overshadowed anything else that he did you knew that he could do straight and he could do serious and he could do still. But mm. we still just imagined it's Robin Williams. You know, that's that's what we kind of expect. Um, yeah. I, I, I mentioned Kubrick a couple of times during this and just, just flicking back through notes there, I'd completely forgotten. Jack Nicholson was apparently approached for this and he said no because it was too like The Shining, which like when, I think when you start thinking about that and if you think about Jack as the alternate casting for this, I think that that overhang is very definitely in this film. I think that that the shadow of the overlook is definitely on that mall. And in the same way that when you watch The Shining, you're left wondering about actually where the, the reality and the fiction falls. 
because even now I, I when i sit and i think about it and i watch it i find that film very hard to unpick satisfactorily yeah yeah it's, it's funny when, when you say that like i can i can see jack nicholson doing it but it's also it's it's different mm. you know like it feels it feels different where while i can see it I don't think it would it would hold the same um, power or the same impact um, or potentially the longevity that this film has because this is two thousand two, so we're we're approaching a, a twenty year anniversary mm. on this already, which seems mm. strange. Two thousand two, I my brain can't quite process that. <laughs> you know that that time gap is is as big as it is. Huge, yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, I, I think it's. It, I'm. I'm. I'm going to say that I. I think that this film, despite the fact that we're talking about an analog, um, situation in in, in today, we're looking at this from a digital era. Um, I think a lot of what it brings up, a lot of those kind of elements, are still just as valid today. I think the fear of of, of um, you know, for your children and for your partners and and all the rest of it is still very much there. I think that whilst you may not have a guy flicking through your photographs on. In a, in a chemist's picking up in your life. I think that the way that we share on our social media definitely raises a lot of the same concerns. Um, For me, a great role to do because it creeped people out so much. Yeah. I was in San Francisco and then this hardcore homeboy walked up and I thought, oh man, he's gonna mug me. And he went, man, one hour photo creeped me out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I just went, oh dude, but I guess because people found it so disturbing before like even the internet that people would have access to you know your life or living vicariously yeah. through your photos but now it's kind of a standard because again you never know quite who's looking at it. i said having deleted somebody off my facebook today for those very reasons because <laughs> i don't want them having access to parts of my life anymore um you know i i think that that stuff all seems very very relevant and i think that we're in an era now where picking up on on somebody who's a, a cheating spouse for instance is is probably a lot easier it's much, much easier for us to forensically pinpoint when someone's shaking around. Mm. Yeah, and if you if you made this now, it'd probably be in a phone shop. <laughs> <laughs> probably remade. an Apple shop. You know. Yeah, he's just sigh at the sigh the Apple genius. Yeah, <laughs> just I can, I can see that getting obsessed with somebody and like doing something to their computer so they have to come back. I just just putting a wee dust ball under the space bar, you know, just to get them back in and have a flick through their iPhoto. Yeah, it could work. I feel that's a lived experience. Now. We can we can re, we can remake this now. I think you could. I think it would very easily translate to, um, you know, society in twenty twenty one. You know, I, I don't think that there's anything that unusual and and now i'm thinking about it I'm, i guess that maybe some of the supermarkets of the last year during the pandemic have maybe felt a little bit like like the supermarket he works in at times you know but very nicely organized hardly anyone there mm. only allowed to go in one direction yeah. and you, do, you don't have anybody with those um that that skill set in a in a supermarket now like i'm, I'm just no. as you're saying that i'm thinking of like the big tesco near me other supermarkets are available and it's you know, it's touch screen. Um, I think like if you do, if you do still print photos at all, take your SD card, connect your phone in, 
and do it yourself. There's no, there's no kind of technician there anymore. I don't know if, if even the, the big boots in Belfast, I, I said to Ruth, do you remember going in, leaving photos in and walking around town for an hour or three hours and then going back to pick the photos up? Yeah. Do you know? I don't even know if that's still a thing there anymore. Uh, I'm actually not sure. I don't think so. I think that I think that there's a couple of places we'll still do um, like film processing, but few and far between. And even the big camera shops, like places that were specifically for cameras. I don't think you get it in Jessup's. Um, in fact, you're lucky if you go into Jessup's now and they actually have any 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 film um, equipment. <laughs> I'd like to buy some chemicals, please, so I can develop my photographs. I've come to the Photoshop. Where are the chemicals, please? Huh? Yeah. Print, yeah. Print photos end up now in art exhibitions because that's yeah. how, how out of date they are. Like the the um, the darkroom stuff is all for like art colleges and, and things like that. It's not for um, for kind of me just messing about on my, like taking photos on my phone. I don't need any of that. Mm. I have Lightroom now. I can just... <laughs> do it myself i don't need i don't need a watery chemical thing i just kind of slide a wee bar up until i think it's nice and then that's it (laughs) you know we all do it you know we're filtering our 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 lives for in terms of content and to make it look better than it is at times you know that's that's what we're doing so um sai was maybe keeping an eye on us all and maybe that you know maybe somebody keeping an eye on us for the the imperfections isn't the worst thing in the world <laughs> i suppose oh uh, anyone want to add anything else before we before we wrap up no i don't think so can can i just talk about how obsessed i became with the color yes i meant i i, I couldn't work out if we if we covered the color enough for you neil so, so please film, please talk I, about it i have I have found myself looking at pictures. Of... I mean, I'm pretty sure that, that whatever it is that you're wearing right now is actually in Sai Shop colors. Sai Shop colors. Um, my little T-shirt. I'll cover up the label. Advertising. Hang on, where's that? Um, the yeah, Sai. Very early on, he comes out of the shop to go to his car, and he matches the lighting in the scene. It's very, uh, like I said earlier, very beige. His apartment very beige. He he merges into any background he's in. He's got that kind of chameleon thing going on, mm-hmm. where you, and I think the intention of that is so you don't notice him. Everybody else, everybody else is much brighter, um, and particularly the family. Their their home is much brighter. Um, their clothing is is that bit more more bright than his there's just you know when he's in the supermarket he doesn't really stand out because he matches the entire color scheme of of everywhere he is around and i i kind of wondered is that a a a photographic color choice um like you know that thing of you're saying like it had to be that quote from the chopper book because that quote means something it's like Mm -hmm. in my mind the color scheme means something to put him, to make him disappear into the background of, of where he appears. The only time he stands out is when it's slightly odd. 
So mm. when he meets the kid at football practice, he stands out like a sore thumb in the color scheme. He's still very beige, but everything else around him is much more colorful and it makes him stand out. When he goes to the mall and meets her, he really stands out. He's really noticeable because everything else is quite colorful, alive, neon lights, and he's just there kind of bland. With his blue bag. His blue messenger bag. And it just makes him, in some ways, when he wants to be seen, he stands out. And when he doesn't, he disappears into whatever world he inhabits. Yeah. And I, I just became really obsessed with the, the colors. And I just thought it was really, really clever and really well done. I think it's 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 clearly deliberate. Um, I mean that blandness, the the, the beige. I, I had a, an ex who used to talk about. I occasionally would wear all beige clothes. She had a massive problem with it. Is <laughs> that kind of vitriol? It's just boring. It's just all beige. Beige is a boring color. It's like, do you know what? I feel like just blending in today. I, I don't feel like peacocking around the place. Um, but also, there's something I I think it edges towards representations of purity. I mean, we would look at white as being a very pure color. So the absence of, of kind of color often is, is, is aligned with innocence and purity. And I wonder, is that a little bit of that? I mean, down to his sort of bleach blonde hair, um, are we meant to look at him as a slightly pure person? Because he looks at the world differently. He doesn't judge people particularly. You know, he's got to report the, 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 the kiddie porn, but he, he doesn't really have an issue with the guy who's taking the pornographic pictures he doesn't have an issue with a lot of the other things that are going on whenever whenever the relationship doesn't seem right whenever there seems to be something that that that, that confuses his idea of this perfect family that's when he gets becomes alive um but it means that he he kind of goes to that whole space i guess just as if he belongs in it as if he's part of it um, maybe those are the bits. It's the size world and it's the real world, you know. So maybe that scene in the park is the real world. So size stands out because he he is not part of that world. But whenever we're in the mall, that's his version of the mall that we're seeing. It's his version of the police station. It's his version of the apartment. And it's you know, as you said, that we're we're kind of, you know, talked about being like an art exhibition, Neil when we see the colors, those photographs on the wall and that it kind of almost takes away from his space, the real world sort of making its way into his. Um, but again, I'll also come back down to The Shining, which is again, that, that, that very, very, it's also one of the things I think reminds me of that is that very kind of bluey white kind of um, very desolate kind of landscape, uh, which sort of, can numb you into a, a kind of uh, a weird sort of trance-like state. I think that, that, that whenever you're in that sort of almost like it hypnotizes you and then how other things do stick out, you notice the little details because everything else is so, so, so bland. That's my reading of it. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very uh, well thought out, well put together, very, very clever film all around um mm. I'm, yeah I'm, I'm coming away from this chat going i'm actually a bigger fan of this than i thought i actually was yeah. like it it has like i said before it has more levels and i think we probably give it a lot of credit for yeah i'm gonna have to re-watch it and check that shaky cam thing to see if there's any correlation to 
where that happens in the movie and what what's going on. Because mm-hmm. um, I never noticed that. I, look, um, I, I think there's an awful lot of people who won't have seen this film uh, ever. I don't think it was particularly widely uh, seen at the time. Um, it's one of those little anomalies in, in Robin's career. Uh, but it's a really, for me, I think it's a really interesting film. And, and you know, I hope that the conversation does encourage people to kind of have a think about it and and look yeah. you know if you're if you're watching and listening and, and you um have thoughts if you don't like our reading if you do like our reading if you've got your own reading on this like get in touch with us post comments on our on our on our website post comments on our blog get in touch with us on on twitter and all the rest of it and and, and argue the case because that's the, we don't exist in a vacuum it's a conversation and you're you're part of the conversation does that sound sincere <laughs> Yeah, I think. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. You can do it again. You can do shit. <laughs> um, so is that everyone happy with? Yeah, nothing yeah, else we want to say so. now. No, yeah. just go, just make a pun. Go watch it, seeking it out. Yeah. See so you. Um, uh, thank you very much, Ben and Neil, for for joining Robin. us today for indulging in this this sort of Robin Williams, uh. A celebration, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely a celebration. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to watch a lot more of uh, more of the other films, um, which I haven't seen, um, just to you know see see what kind of films they were. Because I wasn't aware that he'd done like so many. Yeah, there's there's a lot out there to explore, and a yeah. lot of there's more than one Robin Williams, I think. Um, which is, I hope, what what anyone who watches this will realize is that that he was, he was an actor with a quite a bit of range, mm-hmm. and um, more than one screen persona. So, look, uh, without further ado, uh, th- thank you very much, Ben Simpson, for for, for joining. Me. Thank you very much, Neil. Sedgwick, thank you, Films and Faith. You can go and Google that. Um, and and me, Robert J. Simpson. Uh, as I say, if you've enjoyed this, do subscribe, follow the podcast. Uh, we've got more of these coming out. Uh, and you can interact with us. We are on Facebook at Cinepunked. We're also on Instagram as Cinepunk Film. We're also on Twitter as Cinepunked. And our website is www.cinepunked.com. Uh, until the next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye.